Thank you. Um, I want to just say thank you to Liz, who's singing in the worship team for the first time this week. So thank you so much to Liz. And thank you to all the, the worship band for leading us uh, this morning. Just also want to say, um, Jackie was so good at introducing herself, and I fail miserably most weeks to introduce myself. So just to uh, let you know, for those who don't know, lots of visitors here. That my name's Kay. I'm one of the ministers here at CBC, and I don't normally you don't normally get this much of me in one service. But um, Ruth Miller, who or Ruth Wavy Arms to most of us. Um, was supposed to be um, um, due to be helping lead the service today, um, but sadly is not very well. Uh, so we do wish you well, Ruth, no doubt, joining us online. Um, but that's why I'm afraid you've got a bit more of me this morning. Uh, but as I said, we're looking at uh, the story of the martyr, the very first martyr for the Christian faith, our faith, uh, Stephen. So we're in the New Testament book of Acts through the summer. Um, it's a book full of stories, isn't it, Acts? It's a book full of events. And it's a book full of people all about the early church. Because the church, as we know, came into being at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came um, on those first disciples. There they were waiting and there they received the Holy Spirit. And he enabled them to be effective witnesses for the gospel. Right there in Jerusalem, the church was born. And Acts tells us that uh, um, 3,000 were added to the church in one day. Can you imagine if 3,000 people today were added to our church, what chaos would ensue um, and what things would need to change? And Luke's telling us, that's the whole story of Acts, as Luke opens up to us what's happening in this early church and how it's finding its feet and how it's developing. So he shares with us, doesn't he, this picture of the church gathering together, sharing everything. There's healing and miraculous signs. There's preaching. There's breaking of bread together. But there's also this uncompromising dealing with sin and an uncompromising um, coping with opposition. And we heard uh, really helpfully from Andy last week as he kicked this um, summer series off that um, even in, the spite of, in despite of opposition and in the dealing with sin, the church continues to grow. Nothing is going to stop it. Um, and we had this challenge of being uncompromising in our faith. And I'm just going to go back to chapter 5. I just want to read you uh, some of the words at the very end of chapter 5, where it says, uh, finishes, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering for the disgrace of, um, for the name. Uh, that's Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Nothing was going to stop them. But you know, these first disciples, they weren't surprised at all by persecution. They didn't um, put in a claim against Jesus that they were missold. Do you remember PPI? Did you used to get lots of texts telling you to claim your uh, missold PPI, you know, that payment protection insurance? A few years back, lots of people, you may be one of them, received a bit of a payout because you'd signed up for something you knew nothing about and, um, and you got some money as a result. Well, that's not true of the gospel here. The disciples were well aware when they signed up to become disciples of Jesus what it meant. They weren't missold the gospel. You see, because right from the start, when you think back to Jesus' teaching, it was very clear right through his teaching. Even in his first sermon, if you go right back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of those who are persecuted, that they will be blessed. So Jesus makes it clear as a disciple of Jesus that you will be persecuted. It's an inevitable part of being a follower. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Why did the world hate Jesus so much? Well, because he blew out of the water, didn't he? The thought that we could be good enough to get to God by our own efforts. He offered a way back to God that was quite the opposite to trying hard and doing our best. In fact, he talked about dying to self and receiving as a gift from God forgiveness and new life. And that isn't good news if you're proud. For proud people, it isn't good news. And that's us. We're all proud, aren't we? We want to be able to receive something because we've worked hard for it. So it becomes offensive. Jesus' message became offensive to people and it provoked a reaction. Of course, the Bible says that the gospel's foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who don't believe. So when we follow Jesus and when we share the good news of our Saviour, we sign up to being treated the same way that Jesus was treated because we are called to share that same message as Jesus shared. So Jesus talked about denying ourselves, about taking up our cross. It's a call, isn't it, to a, a radical no to that self-centeredness. It's a recentering of our lives to be obedient to, to Christ. And that taking up of our cross, ultimately, to die for him, to suffer for him. So these disciples that we're reading about in Acts, fresh in their mind is the teaching of Jesus. They're seeking to follow Jesus. They're seeking to be his church. They're seeking to witness to the world but they know what Jesus has taught them about persecution. So it's in this context that we meet Stephen. So I want to read um, Acts chapter 6, if you've got a Bible or on your phone, want to turn and follow, I'm um, reading through Acts chapter 6, or also tackling chapter 7 as well. So let's start in um, Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and six other men, and they presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, here we have a common situation in the church, don't we? Especially in a growing church where some people start to feel overlooked and think needs aren't getting met. As the church grows, there's a need for better administration, for better organisation. And some of the Jews, some of the Hellenistic Jews, are being overlooked in the distribution of, of, um, of food, these widows. And we're not, we're not told why, we're not given a huge amount of information. But what we do discover very quickly is it's dealt with very effectively and very efficiently by the apostles not doing the work themselves, but empowering the church to make decisions, to choose people that would help. It's this whole body, the whole church, getting involved in, in the ministry and the work of the church, and then they release these men. And that's where we first meet Stephen, and you probably noticed that Stephen got a mention as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And we'll come back to that again in a minute. But as I was reading those first few verses, I, it was interesting how... By releasing these people into their gifts, 
and by giving the, the, the apostles freedom to get on and do what they, they'd been given to do to preach the word. Did you see how the word of God spread? As the church was actively, everyone playing their part, everyone doing, using their gifts, the church of God is growing and spreading, um, and including, interestingly, um, a large number of priests from the synagogue. And I think it's important how we deal with these things in church, how we deal with discontent, how we deal with murmurings or groaning and mumbling. Um, all of that, how we deal with that as a church, shapes the character of our church. The church of God is being shaped by all these different events that Luke is telling us about. Well, we get another snapshot of the church now as we home in on Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So let's find out a bit more about him in um, chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed man, as it was called, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as from the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. They began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses hand down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we've already discovered that Luke is a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, but now he's, we also discover he's full of grace and of power. He's performing great signs and wonders. But it's interesting that it's not those that are causing the problem, it's his words. It's what he's saying about Jesus when he speaks about Jesus, the, the, the synagogue uh, rulers don't, don't like what he's saying. They take him to task on it. We're not actually told at this point what his words are, what he's saying, but they can't find fault in his words. They have to find people who falsely accuse him. So they go and get some troublemakers who come and accuse him, and he gets brought before the Sanhedrin. This is a, a Jewish ruling body, and they they accusing him, as we read, of, of, of Jesus destroying the temple and, and, and changing the customs of Moses. So the people that Jesus is facing, they're religious people, religious men. They're the very men who accused Jesus as well, the very men who falsely accused him. And rather than seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of these prophecies, the one who Moses himself pointed to, they see Stephen as threatening everything that they hold dear. And so in the, um, what we find is that um, they, they, these, fa these false accusations and um, angry opposition that um, Stephen faces, that he is um, transformed. And he doesn't become angry. He doesn't retaliate with them. But his face was like the face of an angel. It stands out, doesn't it, that verse, in contrast to the anger and the hatred of those that he's facing. It's hard to know what that means, that his face was like that of an angel. But you can't help thinking when you read it, it takes you back to Moses. I don't know if you remember the story of Moses when he meets with God. And when he comes out from meeting with God, the people can't look at him because his face is so radiant with the glory of, of God. Moses 
displays something of God's glory because he's been with God. And I get that feeling that that's what it was like with Stephen. He was so full of the glory of God, it was overflowing. Even in the face of such awful opposition, in the face of such persecution, he displays this beautiful grace of God because he's so full of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And I wonder if there was a confidence in him that they could see this sort of captivating courage. They stared intently at his face. They couldn't quite get over how different it was probably to all the other people that they've put in that place in the dock before. I think Luke's really keen that we grasp the work of the Holy Spirit, that the the Holy Spirit is at work in his people and that it's really important for the church not to be filled once on the day of Pentecost but to keep being filled over and over again so that we can face opposition, so that the church can grow. So the high priest, he puts Stephen in the dock, doesn't he? Demands to know, are these accusations true, Stephen? And Stephen, being Stephen, he he seizes that opportunity. There he has a captive audience looking at him, and he shares the gospel in a way that they, as Jewish leaders, will get, that they'll follow what he's saying. They'll be captivated by his words. And so what we have in chapter 7, all 60 uh, verses of it, is a comprehensive um, way that Stephen documents the history of the Israelites, right back to Abraham, who was their father, to Joseph, through to Moses, and then to David and to Solomon. And sadly, um, if I read it all, we'd be here for another hour, so we won't have time to read this amazing chapter this morning. But it's it's an amazing testimony uh, that Stephen has written that brings into focus that God's people, yes, they are God's people, but they weren't always obedient. They didn't always follow God, that they did rebel sometimes, and that God continued to be gracious to his people through their rebellion and through their lack of obedience. And that's where he starts to touch on a nerve with these people as they're listening to him, because he starts to say, you know, they, they elevate the temple and they elevate the worship of God, and yet they're still rebelling against him by rejecting Jesus. And suddenly he homes in and it becomes much more personal. So he finds common ground at the beginning. He calls them brothers and fathers, a shared heritage from Abraham. But then he gradually distances himself because they've distanced themselves from Jesus. They've killed the righteous one. They were the ones who killed, betrayed Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. And Stephen's speech evokes such great anger and great hatred that it says that they gnash their teeth. They're so angry with what he's saying. And so often when people are faced with the truth, they move away. They can't cope with the truth because the truth talks about the reality of our sin and the reality of the consequences of our sin and our need of a saviour. So I just want to read the very end of um, Acts 7 uh, to help us as we reflect on Stephen this morning. So verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
So I encourage you, if you have time this week, and I'm sure we can all find time to read chapter 6 and 7. This is the only place in the Bible where we meet this amazing uh, man, Stephen. It's worth reading the whole story, reading his, his defense of the gospel there in chapter 7. Take it in, take in the full weight of this account uh, that, that Luke has, has included here for us. Stephen, as I said at the beginning, is one, the first of many, many martyrs who would follow in his footsteps and give their lives for Jesus. And as we've heard today, we've been reminded today, it's still happening. People are still all over the world suffering simply because they trust in the name of Jesus. The fact is, and I think we've touched on this already, we really don't have a clue, do we, about what it means to suffer for Jesus. We really don't understand persecution and our prayers are faltering. And I have to be really honest with you this morning. I've really wrestled with this message this week. It's been really hard because I felt completely inadequate, if I'm honest, completely unqualified to open up God's word and explore it. This whole topic of persecution. If I'm really honest, I struggle. I struggle to share my faith. You know, those people, my dog-walking friends, you know, I might tell them I'm a Christian. They might know I go to church. They might know what I do. I struggle to share my faith. And what's the worst they're going to do? Not walk with me next week? You know, we don't know, do we? We have no idea. So I've been really wrestling this week with how to relate this subject to us. Comfortable, blessed church here in Sleepy Christchurch. But you know... God's word's always got something for us, hasn't it? And the more I studied Luke's account, the more I pondered this amazing first martyr who is the one who shares our faith, the more I realized that the things that enabled Stephen to face persecution with such courage and conviction are the very same things that we need to grasp in our walk with Jesus so that we can follow him when he calls us to speak for our faith, when he calls us to be his witness in the world. So I want us to spend just a few minutes as we close unpacking these three things that I think we can learn from Stephen to help us live authentically for Jesus. Whether we're facing suffering and um, as we try and stand up for our faith this week, whether we might face rejection because we uh, refuse to live in the way that our family and friends live. We don't choose to live that way. Or maybe because we feel left out because we won't get involved at work with things that are immoral or displeasing to God. Or perhaps, for some of us, it's that sort of suffering that comes because we live in a fallen world. And this world dishes out tough times to us. And you might be in a tough position this morning. You might be suffering this morning. You might be trying to make a difficult decision. You might be facing difficult pain. You might be in um, a place that's hard to handle. Stephen teaches us and speaks into all of those things this morning. And this is what the three things that I'd like us just very briefly to think about. Stephen had a full tank. He had fixed focus and he had a forgiving heart. There you are, three Fs to take home with you, a full tank. Chapter 6, verse 5 says... um, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. A man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, 
full of power. And I think that only someone who's really grasped the truth of what the gospel means, that grasped the fact that we're sinners in need of a saviour, can live a life that's that full of the Holy Spirit. Because he lived out the truth of what he believed, of what Jesus had shown him. He trusted in the power of Jesus to forgive his sins. He trusted in the power of Jesus to give him new life. He knew he didn't have anything to offer. He came empty to Jesus and he received that free gift from God. He lived as someone who'd received grace freely. And so that there was nothing, nothing in the way but for the Holy Spirit to fill him and fill him. And so that's how he was able to show amazing grace within the face of such opposition, able to show such kindness, such humility in the face of such anger. And I was reminded, I was thinking of that verse in 1 Peter. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Yep, we often stop there. But the verse carries on. Do this with gentleness and respect. Stephen modelled full of the Holy Spirit, what it means to share our faith with gentleness and respect. His tank was permanently full to overflowing as he relied on God completely. And he think he he models to us what a supernatural life with God looks like, doesn't he? A laying down of ourselves and a receiving of God's spirit to equip us and empower us. We're called to speak about Jesus. We're called to share the love of God with others, wherever we go, but not in our own strength. We need a full tank like Stephen. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. You know, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says that we're not adequate. We're not adequate. He's absolutely right, we're not. But with God's help, with God's help, we can follow him and speak for him. So I guess the question is, how's your tank today? How's your tank? Is it time to lay down your life again to Jesus Confess sin, confess your need of a saviour. Be filled again with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So a filled tank, but also he had his focus fixed. Uh, Verse uh, 7, verse 56 of chapter 7. He looked up and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen looked up, saw the glory of God. Nothing, not even the threat of death as he was seeing those stones hurled toward him would shift him from his gaze on Jesus. And as he looks at Jesus, he sees the risen Jesus at the right hand of the Father. What other vision would you want that when you're facing such opposition but to remind it that Jesus has defeated death, that Jesus had conquered death, and that one day Stephen, even in those few moments, is going to be with his risen saviour. I wonder how easily we can doubt God when tough times come, when we're trying to share our faith and it's so difficult, when we're facing difficult times in our lives. We forget God. I wonder how often we, we tend to blame God when things get tough. So whether it's when our faith is tested by criticism or questioned by our peers or when we have the, the rug pulled out of us, if you like, in our, in our um, circumstances, what do we do? Well, Stephen stayed strong. He stayed strong even as he faced uh, the loss of his life because he held on to the promises of God and he kept his focus fixed on Jesus. Paul puts it like this in Colossians. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. 
You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. No need to fear. No need to fear. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. I can't imagine a safer place to be. Stephen knew what that meant. Whatever you're facing today, whatever this week ahead brings, your life hidden with Christ in God. And finally, Stephen has a forgiving heart. Did you notice in verse 60, he prayed, Lord, don't hold these sins against them. How was he when he must have been in excruciating pain and agony? We can't imagine what that must have been like. How did he manage to pray that prayer? It made me think about my life when somebody annoys me, when somebody might speak badly about me or hurts me or dis- dismisses my faith, makes fun of my relationship with Jesus. How do I respond? It's a poor parallel really, isn't it? When you compare ourselves to what Stephen faced And yet there's challenges for us today. You know, I think Stephen remembered Jesus' teaching. Jesus remembers Jesus' teaching about the unmerciful servant. Stephen knew how much he'd been forgiven. He remembered Jesus' words on the cross. Do you remember, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He remembered his calling, his calling to show the mercy, the grace, the goodness of God to these people. You know, forgiving isn't easy, is it? Especially when we're backed in a corner like that. But it's essential. It's an essential part of following Jesus. So Jackie used the word undaunted. Undaunted is our word for this morning. My dictionary said it's courageously resolute, especially in the face of danger or difficulty. Courageously resolute. That's the word that sums up Stephen, isn't it? It's the word that sums up the early church. They were undaunted by the most severe persecution, completely undaunted. Why? How? I think Stephen demonstrates to us that he kept his tank full, full of the Holy Spirit. He kept his focus steady, his focus constantly fixed on Jesus, and his heart, he kept a forgiving heart. Those things helped him to stay courageously resolute in the face of persecution, undaunted. I wonder if that's a word we can use this morning for ourselves. As I close, I want to take a sneaky peek into uh, chapter 8. <laughs> don't want to steal anything from Duncan, what he's going to bring for us next week, but you'll read in the very beginning of chapter 8 that it says the disciples were scattered through Judea and Samaria. So far, Stephen and the early church were confined, witnessing being persecuted in Jerusalem. But as a result of this persecution, they were scattered like seeds across Judea and Samaria. And it reminds you of the great commission that Jesus gave us, wasn't it? Be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. They were stuck in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, the word of God spread further and further. This reminds us, I think, as we close, that if we stay faithful to Jesus... He is faithful and he will fulfill his promise to spread the word of God. Nothing, nothing can hinder the word of God spreading if we're faithful to him. And so the word of God spread through Judea and Samaria. As we heard recently, you know, nothing will stop God. God always wins. So the question I ask, how can we live undaunted by the opposition that we may face this week when we speak up for Jesus? How can we be undaunted when we seek to share 
our faith with our, our friends, with our family. Sometimes our family are the hardest, aren't they? How can we live undauntedly in the challenges that we face this week? Well, let's pray that we keep our tank full, keep our focus on Jesus, and forgive readily. I want to just uh, finish by reading some words from a um, hymn that is... Oh, if I can find it. What have I done with it? It's an... It's a... I've lost it. Oh, here it is. Oh, it's worth it. Worth waiting. Um, I, I grew up going to missionary weekends every year uh, where we would hear about missionaries going out to all over the world. And we often used to sing this hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished. You might know it. But it's a beautiful... A beautiful hymn, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. And then it says, we bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. We have the same commission, don't we, as Stephen, to share the love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, with those who need to hear of their need of a saviour. I pray that we would hear the call to do that and be undaunted in that call today. We're going to finish by singing a modern hymn that we learnt last week and we sang at the end of our service last week. It's a super hymn that I think, or song, that I think is just perfect for this uh, season that we're in, in Acts. So do stand and uh, let's sing together of the gift of grace, Jesus, our Redeemer. <laughs>